Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge. So glad you're here. My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to say hello to everybody joining us online as well. And I just want to first say thanks so much for all of your prayers and support for our daughter Chloe and her friend Lily and uh, Charlie and the Jerbseth uh, family and our family. Uh, Chloe's doing really well. Uh, she has a small titanium plate in her face, which is great. She will now get better cell phone reception. So uh, she's doing awesome and uh, had a surgery this last week and hopefully she is just on the mend now and just recovering. So I know she, uh, she was like, I, I'm going to rest today. I'm not quite ready to come back, but she's excited to be back jumping into youth group again and jumping back on Sunday mornings. And we just appreciate you guys and your prayers so much. So uh, during this series, we launched the series last week. We're looking at just the basic values that are the foundation of our mission as a church. And every summer, as we kind of head back towards the school year, and I know it's, we don't want to think about that yet. It's like, no, it's still summer. Don't even mention that. But as we get close to that, we, we want to talk about our values. And these are the values that really uh, are the foundation of how we accomplish our mission, of people helping people find and follow Jesus. It's why the church exists. And so every year, we want to make sure that we don't drift too far off mission, and we want to take a few weeks, and we want to just remind ourselves and do a sort of an alignment and make sure that we're all rowing in the same direction, and we're all working together towards this one common purpose, people helping people find and follow Jesus. And so through these weeks, we're looking at each of these five values, and my goal is to really just empower us and, and help us and encourage us to fully embrace these values. So last week, we talked about the value of grace that freely we have received, so freely we should give. And we can really share uh, God's love with people. We want to be a place that makes it easy for us to share our story and makes it easy to share a come and see invitation. And so that's really, man, all grace is, God, freely you've given me grace, let me extend that to others. Now, today we're tackling our second value, and that is community. And so just to kick things off here today, we're going to do a little mass confessional. Okay, I want you to just raise your hand if you could say, yes, that's me. If you're watching online, just put an exclamation point uh, in the chat. If this is you, here it is. How many of you have ever used a piece of exercise equipment as something to hang a coat hanger on? All right, yeah, a lot of us, and a lot of us are lying. Okay, that's fine. How about a treadmill, Stairmaster, elliptical machine, right? And you're familiar with the phrase, gently used, right? Here's what that means. Gently used is a phrase that basically means, I bought this, I've used it once, and now it's gently used. That's what that means. I barely used it. And do you know that the best deal of all time that you can get on anything is gently used consumer-grade exercise equipment. Because gently used actually means barely used. That's what that means. It means uh, I can, you can save hundreds or even thousands of dollars because uh, basically it means I brought this home, I put it in my basement, I used it once, and now I've been hanging laundry on it. That's basically what gently used means. It means, have I ever really used this? And the answer usually is not really. In fact, some of you have probably sold fitness equipment that was in pristine condition, other than the fact that you just had to clear some of the cobwebs away from it, right? And it's just amazing. The interesting thing about this consumer-grade fitness equipment gently used is that we actually purchased this stuff. We've all been there, right? And, and we, I know we've had uh, 
exercise bikes and treadmills and things that we've purchased that have just sat in our basement and eventually, you know, we sell them in a garage sale. Why did we purchase this to begin with? What was it that caused us to go out and go, yes, we're definitely going to buy that treadmill. We're definitely going to buy that exercise machine. It's because we believed something about exercise equipment, right? There was a belief behind that. We believed in fitness. We believe in exercise. We believe in health. We believe in getting our cardio in. And the reason this stuff is such a good deal and the reason it's gently used isn't because we don't believe in health. It's just because we didn't actually use it. The reason you can find gently used exercise equipment pretty much everywhere, right, on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace and all these things is because, let's be honest, oftentimes when it comes to exercise equipment, people genuinely believe that getting their cardio in and exercising is good for their health. They just don't always act on what they believe. And as you know, in the realm of health, believing makes absolutely no difference when it comes to your health. No matter what you believe about health, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't help you at all. All that matters is what you actually do. And the same thing is true when it comes to our faith. In fact, we probably all believe some basic things as it relates to our health and our nutrition and our exercise. We were, we're almost all use probably the same terminology to describe how important it is, but believing doesn't make a difference. And the same thing is true when it comes to our faith journey. See, believing something doesn't make a difference in your life, but doing something does. No matter what you believe when it comes to church, faith, God, your relationship with God, your relationship with people in the church, none of that makes a difference if you don't actually do something about it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you would say, yeah, I, I would call myself a Christian, a, a Christian believes something. That's why in the New Testament, followers of Jesus are sometimes referred to as believers because they actually believed something. And if you've got all the Christians from all over the world all together, there's a couple of things that we would say we all believe. But what we know from personal experience is that just like exercise, it's, it's not enough to just believe something. We have to actually do something, right? All, all believers don't always act on what they believe. And just like with exercise, we believe that Jesus taught some things. We believe that we learned some things in the New Testament from the writers who described this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. But we don't always do those things. We believe that Jesus says to forgive quickly, but we don't always actually forgive quickly. We believe that Jesus says to love our enemies and to love people who are hard to love, but we don't actually always do that. We, we believe that uh, Jesus taught, and he was pretty clear about this, that we should follow his example in baptism, but there's many of us who are, have some fears and some barriers towards that. We, we believe that Jesus taught to, to be generous with what he's entrusted to us financially, but there's some fears and some barriers around that. And while we believe in Jesus, we believe some of the things that he taught, we don't always act on what we believe. We believe that we should put others first, but sometimes it's really actually pretty tough to do. We still fight against selfishness and, and on and on and on. And if, if anyone ever attacks our faith, we're quick to defend what we believe, aren't we? Well, here's what I believe. Here's what I believe. But what Jesus says and what the New Testament authors emphasized is that it's not believing that makes any difference in our lives. And really, it's not what the church believes that makes any difference in the world. It's really about what we do. And if you've been a part of Westbridge for any period of time, uh, or maybe this is your first time here, you, you should know this about us. We've never been content to simply believe. 
We've never been content to say, okay, here's the things that collectively we should believe. We have always emphasized that we want you to act on the things that you believe. That this isn't just about come in and get some great information. This is about what does it look like when we take this and we actually apply it to our lives and make a difference in the world. And the act that Jesus asked people to do was to follow him. Not just believe some things, but actually follow his way of living life. And yet here's what's interesting about following Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus in isolation. I want you to think about this for a second. You cannot follow Jesus in isolation. As a matter of fact, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just exploring faith or you're caught this on a link online somewhere later in the week, you should consider orienting your life around community and relationships because there are some genuine benefits to community. It will make your life better even if you're not a follower of Jesus. Important relationships in your life make life better, even if you're not a Jesus follower. It just so happens the idea of community is a distinctly Jesus idea. Now, uh, Eli was sharing about this bike ride we did yesterday. And I got to tell you, a few months ago, uh, we were on a trip uh, with our family, and we got the chance to, um, uh, my wife and I, rent some electric bikes. And we were in uh, California, and the weather was like maybe 60 degrees. It wasn't like super hot. So I was wearing jeans and uh, like, a, like a t-shirt with like a zip-up sweater kind of a thing, right? And we rented these bikes and we went out riding on these electric bikes and it was amazing. Like you hardly have to pedal. It had like six speeds and you could go 20 miles an hour without even pedaling. And you could pedal a little bit, but if you got up to six speed, it basically turned into a motor scooter. I mean, unbelievable. In fact, I've thought about trying to create like a water bottle that looks like a battery to put on my bike for this bike ride. And then nobody would know that I'm actually riding an e-bike, but trying to figure out how to do that. And, uh, and so we're out riding and there is, a, there is a lady who's, you know, a legit rider. You can tell she's got all the gear and she's out there pedaling and she passed us and she's on a regular, you know, manual bike and she's out there and she went past us and that was fine. And you know, you're not thinking anything of it. And then we got to an incline and we started to go uphill and she is just working and she's pedaling. And all of a sudden my battery kicked in. I started to go up the hill and I just went flying past her. And I'm like, I'm wearing jeans and a sweater. She's, you know, fully decked out in all this bike gear and is like, oh, hey, how you doing? And I thought to myself, she has to be so frustrated when you're out there working so hard to get up this thing. And then somebody in like not even wearing any gear is like, I had like flip flops on, just comes flying past you. She's like, got to just be thinking to herself, man, that, that jerk. I'm so mad at him, right? So frustrated. And it just got me thinking, and even yesterday when we were out on this ride, a guy passed us on an electric bike, and I was just like, oh, you... Not fair, man. Not fair. So uh, it's interesting when you think about this whole concept is, yeah, being in community helps. And, and here's what's amazing. I, I would say being in community with other people is what takes your regular bicycle life and turns it into an e-bike life. Okay, like, in other words, you, you might already be pedaling, you might be already working towards following Jesus, but let me tell you something, community, being involved with other people who are moving in that same direction as you are, 
It will help you to go farther faster. And that's what we want for you. That's why this is so important. In fact, community wasn't just something God thought up because he just really needed some friends and he's kind of like wandering the cosmos lonely and just was like, oh, I need some friendships. God himself is community. We read this in the narrative in Genesis, in the creation narrative, we discover that God is busy, he's creating. And he's, he's saying, uh, let there be light and light exists because he speaks things into existence and he's creating and then he's almost going, he's, he's kind of sitting back and critiquing and he says, that's good. And he, he saw what he created and he realizes that's good. And then he, he's speaking all that we can see into existence and you listen to this narrative and it says in Genesis chapter one, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Notice these pronouns, us and our. And what we discover through the scriptures is that God didn't just think like, hey, one of the things I should create as a part of the creation process is community and friendships and relationships. It was already who God is. He already existed. It's who God is. And we were created in his image. And so we bear in our DNA the identity of a God who is community. We cannot escape it. It's, it's hardwired into us as human beings. In fact, think about it like this. God is love and God is community. But there's a difference between love and community because love can be one directional, but community is reciprocal. Community means like, like I can love something and it not love me back. I, I, can, I can love someone and even do things that show my love and express my love, but for it to be community, it has to be reciprocated. That love has to be returned. And God exists eternally in three beings who are constantly giving and receiving love. Therefore, God is community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit continually giving and receiving love. And then God, in his love, in his community, invites us into that. I love the way that uh, there's a Franciscan monk named Richard Rohr who calls it the divine dance. That there's this divine dance that's always taking place between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that community just means that we have been invited into that dance. It's such an incredible way to look at it. And that means that community then is not a burden to bear. Community is actually just becoming alive to who we have always been created to be. Recognizing this is who we are. And the way that we experience community with God is by having and experiencing community with one another. It's the way God designed it. You and I were created in the image of a communal and relational God. And so the desire for community is hardwired into our DNA, like water and like oxygen. We need other people. And more importantly, not only for ourselves and for our own personal growth, and, uh, because it's a part of how God created us, but the world is watching how we interact with each other. People who, who go, I, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I don't know about the church. I'm skeptical of organized religion. Uh, I'm skeptical of people of faith. I'm skeptical of faith. We absolutely need each other. And the rest of the world needs to see how we treat each other. Even when we disagree with each other over what we claim to believe. But how we act towards one another, that's what makes all the difference. Because we are the reflection of who Jesus is in the rest of the world. In fact, Jesus said it this way to his disciples. He said, now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus says, all right, guys, this is just before he's about to be uh, betrayed and turned over and crucified. 
And just before that, he goes, guys, gather up, right? Lean in, circle up. I want to I tell you something, right? It's a new commandment. You ready? Write this down. Love each other. And they're like, that's not new. We've heard that one before. He goes, but here's, here's how I want you to love. This is what makes the commandment new. Not the words, not the verbiage, but the context. I don't want you to love each other the way that you love each other. I don't want you to love each other the way other people love you. I want you to love each other. The baseline, the example is how I have loved you. So do you remember how I've loved you? Do you remember how I've sacrificed for you? Do you remember how I've led you, how I've taught you, what I've done for you, the, the grace I've shown you, the, the, the patience I've had with you, the, the way that I've treated you, the, the example that I've set for you? That is how you are to love other people. And when you do that, when you love each other that way, it's going to be so radically different than the way that people have experienced love in their current context that it's going to cause them, they're going to, they're going to know this is something different. This comes from God. And then a few years later, a guy named Paul comes along three to five years after the resurrection of Jesus, and he starts persecuting followers of the way of Jesus. He starts arresting them and putting them in prison, and he has this radical encounter with Jesus. And he eventually becomes a follower of the way of Jesus and of the person of Jesus, and he becomes one of their leaders. He starts churches all over the Mediterranean Sea, and he's writing letters back to them, and, and he echoes these teachings of Jesus. He's, he basically says, believing doesn't make a difference. Acting on what you believe is what makes the difference. It's not just about what we believe. And so he wrote basically all of these letters describing this command that Jesus had to love others the way that Jesus loves. This is what it looks like in the context of one another's. And he writes these letters, and it's all these one another's, one another, one another, one another. And he said this, this is what it looks like to act on what we believe. Forgive one another, accept one another, care for one another, encourage one another, submit to one another, restore one another, carry one another's burdens, bear with one another. It's just one another, one another, one another. That people, people, people matter. And Paul would say, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. His command was, as I have loved you, you are to love others. To which we might be tempted to say, no, I, I thought if you're a Jesus follower, that means that, I, okay, I got to go to church and pray and read the Bible and just try really hard not to be mean to people. Isn't that it? Isn't that, what, isn't that the context? Isn't, isn't it basically like, okay, check the boxes, go to church, read the Bible, pray, and then try not to be mean to people? Paul says, no. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not interact with people and, and do it in isolation because interacting with each other is the point. It's not enough to behave, uh, to believe something privately. You actually have to live it out. You have to behave publicly. You can't just believe it privately. Belief doesn't make any practical difference. It's doing that makes the difference. Now, I got to tell you, this is a really big deal for me personally, and uh, I'll tell you why. I was sort of raised on a version of Christianity that I would call vertical morality. Vertical morality. In other words, the way that we measured spiritual maturity, that I'm becoming more like Jesus, I'm becoming spiritually mature, was about being moral and being generous, right? So as long as I behaved myself and gave some money to the church, me and God were good. Be a good person, Give some money to the church. It's very vertical. God, how are, how are we doing? Am I good with you? Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm behaving, I'm, I'm obeying the rules, and I'm, and I'm giving to the church, right? And, and as long as we're good, then I just want to make sure we're good. And it's very vertically oriented. It's a vertical morality that makes sure that I'm good with God because I want to make sure that I'm not on the outskirts with God. 
And what I discovered as I grew in my faith is this. While being moral is important, I think it's important to have, I'm not, I'm not discarding that. And while being generous is important, I think though both of those things are important parts of your life and your faith. What I discovered as my faith grew is that those things just aren't enough. It's not enough to just say, okay, I'm a, I want to be a, a good moral person and be a generous person. Since you cannot follow Jesus in isolation, here's what I discovered the longer that I followed Jesus. Following Jesus is both vertical and horizontal. Following Jesus isn't a vertical-only morality. Following Jesus is a horizontal practice that it matters what goes on with other people. And when your relationship with God is all about the vertical, it's all about this and not about the horizontal, it leads you over time to become very self-righteous. And maybe you've met some people, maybe you know some people who are very, very vertically oriented in their faith. You just never want to be around them. They don't seem to like anybody. Our mission as a church is to help people find and follow Jesus. But they just don't like most people because they're very vertically oriented and it leads them to this sort of self-righteous morality where they sort of develop over time this superiority complex. In fact, they probably, if you know any self-righteous Christians, they probably just have a very vertically oriented relationship with God. And a vertical orientation with God, where it's vertical only and not horizontal, tends to promote a lot of legalism. It tends to provoke, promote a lot of elitism, right? And it, it promotes racism and judgmentalism and me-first-ism. And maybe another one that you've never even heard of, God's going to get him <laughs> Which is like, hey, me and God are good. Those are the sinners, and God's going to get him And we're the Christians, they're the sinners, so God's going to get him. And Jesus didn't say, stay away from people because God's going to get them. Jesus said, I, I want you to live your life in such a way. I want you to live your life. I want you to be so loving. I want you to be so kind. I want you to be so patient. Like, whatever you have seen from me, that's how I want you to treat other people. And I want you to live your life in such a way that when they look at you, they go, wow, look at how they love each other. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? But to do that, it's not vertical only. It's vertical and it's horizontal. In fact, this is the exact problem that they were dealing with in the first century. Followers of Jesus, especially Jewish people, grew up in a very vertically oriented sort of faith. It was, here's all the rules, here's the law, here's the ceremonies, here's the festivals, you keep these things and then you and God are good. And if you have to, for whatever reason, make, if you have to cut somebody off, if you have to uh, treat somebody in a way that isn't loving, that isn't kind, that may even seem a little bit unfair, then you do that because you got to make sure that you maintain this. But the way of Jesus disrupted everything, and he came onto the scene, and he goes, no, look, the way that this is defined is by how well you do this. The way the vertical is defined is by how well you do the horizontal. And Jesus comes along, and he disrupts everything. And he changes everything about how they relate to God. And if you're living in the first century and you're trying to follow Jesus, you would have had centuries of history to overcome. And so the author of this incredible letter to the Hebrews, in our, in our New Testament, it's called just Hebrews. It's a letter to the Hebrews. It was written, and it's this exquisite letter. And I'd encourage you to read uh, the, the letter to the Hebrews in your New Testament this week. It's fascinating. Read it through the lens of a first century Jewish person who has all of this history to overcome. 
And basically, they walk through in this letter. Here's, here's this festival. Here's this ceremony. Here's these things, the high priest and the temple, and there's this curtain. And all of these things are these special things that only the priest can have this experience with God. And only the priest can basically offer sacrifices for the people. And, and here's the things that you got to keep. And then in this letter, they describe, this is now all changed. Because of Jesus, it's brand new. There's a whole new way, and it's for everybody, and it's simple, and everybody gets in. And so if you've never read Hebrews, I'd encourage you to read it, but read it through the lens of a first century person. Because here's chapter 10. Here's what the author writes. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. That means something to a first century Jewish person. There is something in the temple called the most holy place. Only the priest is allowed there. And now the author is saying, no, it's, it's accessible to everybody. We all get to experience God's presence. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. They would have had context for this. There's a massive curtain that separates the outer court from the holy place and then the most holy place. And he's saying, look, that curtain is gone. Now it's accessible. God is for everybody. And then the author writes this, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Now, this is all vertical. This is saying, look, the way that you used to do vertical was keep the rules, be moral, make sure you give, and then you and God are good. And make sure the priest offers a sacrifice and make sure the priest goes into the presence of God on your behalf. Now the author says, look, the vertical has changed. Everything's changed. Because of Jesus, the whole vertical orientation, our relationship with God, is accessible to everybody. And now that priest that you used to have to go and the priest would offer sacrifices for you, now Jesus is your high priest forevermore. And you don't have to offer sacrifices again and again and again because he offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross. And so now we have access to God, everyone, forever. This is such good news. The vertical has changed. And then right after these verses, there's this pivot to the horizontal. In other words, based on all of that, based on the fact that the, the vertical is now available to everybody and Jesus is now our high priest and, and he rules over God's house and we can go right into God's presence with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, based on how the vertical is brand new, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let, let's pay careful attention to. Let's try to think of ways to. Let's, let's try to motivate each other. There's this pivot in the middle of these verses from, okay, this is what it looks like to have this vertical relationship with God. And now, this is what it looks like to live that out with others. I'm good with God. I have access to God through Jesus. And now it shifts. The very next verse, think of ways to motivate one another. Think of ways to spur on one another. Think of ways to encourage each other. In your relationships with other believers, and in your relationships within the church, and in your relationships with the people you know who are doing their best to follow Jesus, I want you to stir each other up. I want you to motivate each other. I want you to irritate each other. I want you to, to get in there and life is messy and I want you to wade into the mess together. I want you to provoke each other and motivate each other and encourage each other and be in each other's lives to the point that when you see a friend who's drifting, you have access to that friend. 
that you know what's going on in their life and you can support them and help them. I want you to live in community in such a way that you have access to each other and that you spur each other on, that you encourage each other. The vertical part is great, but the way that we live that out is when we motivate one another and encourage each other to acts of love and good deeds. It's absolutely critical to your faith because it isn't enough to just believe the right things. We have to live it out in the context of community and praying to God and having an amazing vertical relationship with God but not loving well the people that God's put in your life is like having the best exercise equipment in the basement and never using it. It doesn't make a difference for your health. Loving God, being able to pray, saying, God, I, I follow all the rules, but not loving well and not engaging in community with the people in your life doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make a difference in your life. It doesn't make a difference in the world. When the author says, you know how this happens? It's by intentionally meeting together so that we can encourage each other. Now, that's not talking about this on Sundays, okay? It's a totally different context. This is good. This is important. We want you here as often as you can be here. We want you engaging with us online as often as you can do that. We, we want you to participate in this because there's important things that take place here. But this is not the context that the author of Hebrews is talking about. The author is saying we have to be intentional to be in environments where we can actually encourage each other. And do, to do that, we have to know each other. And we can't, we can't do that in a group this size. We can't do that online. At some point, we have to put ourselves in an environment where we actually know somebody else face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, because do you know what it means to encourage? That word encourage simply means to instill courage. When you encourage someone, you instill courage in them. You give them the courage to do something. Do you know why that's so important, to instill courage in each other? Because it's very, very difficult in our world to act on the things that we claim to believe. It's difficult to do that. It, it, it takes courage to live out your faith in the marketplace. It takes courage to actually live out the things that you profess to believe in your school, in your neighborhood. It takes courage to do that at family gatherings when your faith and your family might be a little hostile towards faith. It takes courage to actually act on the things we claim to believe. It takes courage not to believe something. It takes courage to do something, to do the loving thing to do the generous thing, to do the selfless thing, to love well people who are hard to love, to, to put others first when it's human nature to want to put ourselves first. And the author says some people have stopped gathering together and they've stopped instilling courage in one another. Don't let that happen. You have to gather, you have to get to know each other so that you can continually instill courage in each other to live out, to act on what you believe. And maybe sometimes our barrier is, well, I don't really have anything in common with those people. I mean, there's people in our church and, you know, maybe I've joined a group before and I just don't have anything in common. Can I just tell you something? Church is about unity, not uniformity. Here's what that means. The way that we have unity is not finding people that we have things in common with and going, okay, we have some stuff in common, so we should hang out together. That's, you, that's uniformity. That's, that's basic friendships. Unity in the body of Christ means, hey, we share one thing in common, the grace of Jesus. 
And so we're going to do everything that we can to encourage one another, to instill courage in each other. Cults have uniformity. Everybody believe the same. Everybody act the same. Everybody look the same, right? We will never have uniformity because we're a very diverse group of people. Think about this. In 1900, the average lifespan for a person living in the USA was 48 years old. Today, it's 78. For the first time in human history, we have five generations who make up most of our communities. We're a diverse group of people. Paul wrote this to followers of Jesus in Ephesus. He says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Which means the way that we love each other, that that community, authentic community, is not something that you have to discover. It's not like, well, if I find the right group of people and we have enough stuff in common, then I will experience community. Community isn't something that is discovered. Community is something that is forged. It is something that you step into and you say, this is a group of people, and some of us have different ideas about how to live life and how to handle our finances and how to raise kids, and, but you know what? The one thing that all of us have in common is that we have experienced the grace of Jesus in our lives, and so we are going to push and pull and prod and encourage and challenge and help move each other forward in our faith. And we're going to love and we're going to forgive, and we're going to bear with one another because that's what community looks like. It's what we were created for. And the truth is, heaven is going to be a big place populated with people from all kinds of different cultures and different nations, and so we should start practicing how to love each other now. Our church should be a glimpse of what eternity is going to look like. You see, when you have a group of people who seem to have little in common except for the experience of God's grace, they are becoming friends regardless of what else they have in common. It is, it is our shared experience of God's grace that makes all the difference. And the rest of the world should look at what's happening in the church with a sense of bewilderment and think, how do you guys do that? You're so different from each other. How do you, how do you love each other so well? When you worship differently and you have different religious backgrounds and you have different political leanings and you have different personalities and you have different experiences that have shaped you, but the one thing that we all have in common is the grace of Jesus. And we, when we determine we're going to unite around that and we're going to love each other through the, whatever differences we have, we are family. Community is not discovered. It is forged. And we're going to live that out, but we've got to gather together to instill courage in each other. And folks, I can't be the one doing that for you. And our staff can't be the ones doing that for you. It's something that we have to do for each other. And that is why we do groups. That's it. That's why we do groups. Because we want to create small pockets, environments all over the city where you can say, you know what? I don't know everybody at Westbridge Church, but I know a group of people. I know a handful of people, and I know them, and they know me. And we don't have everything in common, but the one thing we have in common is with this group of people that I'm building relationship with is that we've all experienced the grace of God. And, and we love each other and we're helping each other move forward in our faith and we're helping each other make a difference in our community. But you can't do that on your own. You've you got to be in a group of people in an environment. You've got to put yourself in an environment where you can start to forge those kinds of relationships. In fact, people have been doing that for the last 15 years since we started Westbridge. And I want to read you just a couple of stories of people who said, you know what, I was hesitant to get into a group. But when I did, here was the result. One person writes this. I had been searching for something more, and as a believer in Christ, I was actively looking for a church. Every church we tried left me feeling more empty than before until I tried Westbridge. That was the turning point. The first week I attended happened to be the first week of a marriage series. 
I knew that God was speaking to me and I knew I had to change something for the sake of my marriage and my mental health. I spent some time really being honest with myself on what the issues were and this helped me recognize I needed to find a way to fill that friendship connection void in my life. A couple of months later, there was a call for serving and I decided to push myself past any semblance of a comfort zone and sign up to serve and start to become involved. And over time, I felt more and more comfortable opening up and I've been able to share personal challenges with my group without fear of being ridiculed or judged. It took me over 40 years to get to a point where I feel connected and safe and the impact of having people in my life has helped me to recognize why I was struggling in other areas of my life. It was because I was not in a good place mentally. I was missing that connection. And for me, serving and small groups has saved so many areas of my life and had a deep and lasting impact, not just on my happiness, but my connection with God. I find that just driving by the church during the week reminds me how good being connected feels for me. And when I go too long between meeting with my group, I physically ache from missing that connection. These personal connections are integral to my health, spiritually, mentally, and physically. I'm still growing and overcoming areas of my life, but I'm so blessed to have an amazing group to do this with. I love that. Somebody else writes this. We were invited to a cancer support group for patients and caregivers as my husband has appendix cancer and we didn't know what to expect. We've never been to a group like this before. Little did we know this group was something we needed simply in the way of not feeling like we were on our own cancer island. These people understood what we were going through because they were going through it too. After the group ended, I reached out to the leader of the group to have coffee and start a Bible study together. And this is not something I usually feel comfortable initiating, but I believe God placed her in my life at this time for a reason. So I took a step forward, trusting God's faithfulness. I laugh because she has a daughter my age, but the friendship I have with her is one I will cherish forever. She's a blessing in many ways. Through a simple invite to a group, God has placed people in my life that remind me to continually look to Jesus despite the cards life has handed me. Here's another one. Our small group has shown up for one another time and time again. Collectively, we have all been through many ups and downs through our time together. When times are tough, we reach out to our group for prayer and support. When we are celebrating a win in life, our group members are among the first people that we share the news with. We've walked through pregnancies and birth, loss of family members, health scares, career changes, and even the loss of one of our own group members. Through it all, we've stuck together. We've grown stronger with each challenge that life may throw our way. We are so grateful for our small group community as we all walk alongside each other on our faith and life journey. This is just a small handful. And it's amazing, there was, uh, in this particular group, this last one, there was something that happened in their life, and as you do so well, we we said, we're going to reach out, can we get you guys meals? And they're like, oh no, our small group already has it covered. Awesome. That's the way it's designed to work, that we care for each other, that we're there for each other, that we challenge each other. Here's why this matters so much, and here's why we're so passionate about this, and then we'll close. When you drift from people of faith, you drift from faith. When you drift from people of faith, when you stop meeting together in that environment and encouraging each other and where someone knows you and you know them and you can instill courage in one another, you start to drift from faith. If you isolate yourself from the body of Jesus, you eventually feel isolated from Jesus. It's human nature. It's how we're created. And this is why some of you left the church maybe a while ago and maybe this is why some of you are coming back after being away for a really long time is you slowly got isolated from the body of Christ. You think, well... I can continue to believe the right things even if I'm not engaged with the church, right? And what you discovered is over time, your belief started to wane. 
You stopped believing, and there's no logical explanation for it. It's just that when you drift from people of faith, you tend to drift from faith. It's not just vertical, it's horizontal, and faith comes alive in community. So here's the question I have for you. Who's in your life who knows you so well that they can instill courage in you when you need it to act on the things that you claim to believe? What environment have you intentionally put yourself in to make sure that that can happen? Who, who is there for you? Is there someone, is there a setting for that? Is there a context for that? Does anyone have that kind of access to you? And, and if you're, to add up all the time that you spent not being in a group the last season, what do you have to show for all the time that you spent not being in a group? Think about your exercise equipment, your gently used exercise equipment. What do you have to show for all of the time that you spent not exercising? Nothing. What do you have to show for all the time that you spent not being in a group? Oh, well, I, I mean, I, I finished that Netflix show. It's pretty good. I mean, for some of us, like, well, yeah, I, I spent that time trying to figure out something to watch on Netflix. What if you take the same amount of time, once a week, a couple hours a week, and you got together with a group of people who could instill courage, who could say, I know you. And suddenly, when you face a, a moment in your life, when you face a season in your life, when you face something where you're like, man, I, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this, but you, you don't have to retroactively go build relationships with people because they're already there. You have built-in relationships where you go, hey, I need courage. I, I, this is what's going on in my life, and I need somebody to, to help me to live out what I profess I believe. And somebody comes alongside of you because they know you, because you've already been in an environment where you've gotten to know people. See, who will support you and care for you, bring you food? Because it's not about the food, it's about saying, we see you. Over the last couple of weeks, we've got so much food delivered to our house, it's unbelievable. But I don't think there's anybody who's going like, they probably forgot how to feed themselves. We should take care of that. You bring a meal, it's a way of saying, we see you. We support you. We love you. Hang in there. And so, who has that? Who, who is in your life? And are you putting yourself in a setting where you can continually do that? That is why we do groups. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a few weeks, we're going to have a catalog of groups for the fall. So here's your, here's your take-home assignment today, okay? Because it's not just about believing something. It's about doing something. And in a few weeks, when groups come out, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you sign up and be a part of a group? For some of you, I'm going to ask you to do this. Would you lead a group? As you're going to get a call and someone's going to say, hey, we think you'd be a great group leader. Would you consider doing it? And I just want you to consider saying yes so that we can, as a church, collectively create these environments where we can meet together, eyeball to eyeball, face to face, and know each other so that we can encourage each other. And if you've never started following Jesus, I want you to know this is what this is what you're created for. You are created for community with God and with others. And at some point along the way, I know that that's been broken because we live in a broken world. And, and from the very first human beings to every one of us, I mean, we've made decisions that have caused brokenness between us and God and us and each other. That's why Jesus came, to restore that brokenness, to restore community with God. And we experience that when we have community with each other. And Jesus came into the world to set things right. 
He invites us into that. And if you've never said yes to that invitation, I want you to know you don't earn your way into that. It's something that God does for us. And you can say yes to that right here, right now, as we close with this simple prayer. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I thank you that you never walked away from me. And I pray, I, I, I recognize the brokenness between myself and you and myself and others. So please heal the brokenness. I want to say yes to being part of your family. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me not just to believe something, but help me to follow you in the way that I live my life, in the way that I love others. And God, I pray for every one of us here who are following you, doing our best to follow you. My prayer is that we would have the courage to put ourselves in environments where people know us, where they can call us out, where they can challenge us, encourage us, support us, pray with us, be with us. And God, as a church community, may we collectively not just believe the right things, may we live it out so that we are a church that makes a difference in our community. I pray this in your name. Amen.